0: Uh, today, uh, we're going to move into our sixth part on habits. This, uh, Lord willing, is the final chapter in uh, what we've been working on in our understanding of habits and the role they play in our life, uh, that they are an essential part of our success and our failure. And today, we'll be really focusing on uh, the role of community uh, in, in our habits and how they form. And, and how we practice those things. Um, as always, a, a quick review. And, uh, you know, if you guys want to say the review out loud, then I can not do the review. But the idea of habits, our definition is behavior patterns that are required by repetition and exposure. And, uh, and that they are this place inside us where things become almost completely automatic or instinctive. Uh, The brain automatically is always trying to uh, push our actions, our thoughts into a place where it becomes a habit because it's easier to process. And, And because of that, we live a lot of our life in the role of habits. So for most of us, that is a much bigger part of our life than we may like to think. So many decisions we make in a day, we're not really making them that's in the habit loops that we do. Uh, you know, we, we talked about this habit loop, the cue, the routine, and the reward. This idea that, um, that this whole process is about moving us in a direction uh, when, you're, uh, when you feel like there's... Uh, an issue in your life, there's almost always a habit that wants to address that. When you've been challenged, when you've been talked about, when you've been gossiped about, uh, when you're afraid, when you're lonely, there's something we often reach for. There's a process and it's, it's wanting to move us to a, another place that we would think is better. And that third piece, the reward, is that place where we get that sense of, of completion. Uh, somebody yells at me, I yell back. I feel this sense of completion. Um, somebody cuts me off in traffic, I pull up beside them, I give them a dirty look. I feel this sense of completion. It's 10 o'clock at night, I pull out the blue bell, I have a cup of ice cream, I feel this sense of completion. And so, and so when we talk about a reward, it's this sense of something has been made equal, right, whole, and what we've discovered is that this sense of reward, this, this place that really is often powered by desire in our life, by a justice we want, by, by uh, revenge even, that, that these things are often driven by an immediate gratification, this place where, where something is made right at that moment. And so what Jesus has done is come into our life And he is in the world of our habits, in the world of our instincts, he is wanting to offer us a different way of looking at reward, a different way of looking at peace within, a different way of finding satisfaction, that he wants to realign those realities to a new place, a place where he has the ability to speak into our life so that those things don't indeed control us. <clears throat> we come to this reality in the scripture that this trusting Jesus, this willingness to trust him with the outcome, this willingness to feel empty in this moment and let him fill that place and know that it is going to be a greater reward is the greatest act of trust in faith. It's, it's really the reality of faith. The reality of faith is that there is a quality or component of our life that is deferred. That is, that is the reality of faith. And then the cue, the routine, of uh, the reward. We just talked about the reward again. The cue is those moments when our brain kicks into gear, when we go into autopilot and, and we do. Uh, if you ask my wife, probably 80% of my driving... Uh, is by habit. So I wind up at the wrong place frequently. I wind up at the church when I was going to Grape Taste. I wind up in the house, at our house in Angleton when I was going somewhere north. It's just what I do. That little program goes in, and you know, when you go down this road, you're clearly going to the church. And all of a sudden, she says, where are you going? And I think, where am I really going? I'm going to church. So I'll correct that and go to where I'm really supposed to be going. Those cues kick in. And what Jesus wants to do is to make those cues, they now become opportunities. They become the place where he is engaging you and he is engaging humanity in a new reality. And then finally, the routine. He wants to rewrite the script of what we do in our life. He wants to be a part of what our instinctive compulsion is in all the circumstances of our life. He wants to be in the center of our instinctive response. He wants to develop this new way of reacting in the moment. His, his quest is that, because it really is the core. You see, when we experience anger, frustration, loneliness, uh, any, any emotion, when we have victory, satisfaction, you see, instinctively, there's these things that kick in. Uh, I know that when we uh, when we went in uh, and and toppled the statue of Saddam Hussein uh, in Baghdad, one of the soldiers, one of the American soldiers, went and took an American flag and put it on top of it. What a bad idea! What a bad idea to step into a country that you are allegedly liberating and putting your flag on top of it. Now, did this particular soldier really mean, you know, we want to rule Baghdad or Iraq? No. He was excited and euphoric about a victory. But that was his instinct. His instinct was not really about the liberation. His instinct was about the victory in a battle. We do the same things. We do the same things. What do our instincts do? You see, our habits represent what has been developed, what has been repeated. Our habits are about, they're coming out of the character, the value system. They're coming out of what we have intentionally invested into. And so my, my challenge along the way has been, we really have to take responsibility for our habits. We have to take responsibility for our instincts, our impulses. We have to, we have to know and understand that Jesus is incredibly interested and how we see cues in our life, that's, that's the challenge of how we see a bad day, how we see reversals, how we see struggles. Jesus says, in this, there is opportunity for life. In this, there is opportunity for my revelation for your deliverance, for your transformation, for your salvation, all of these things are identified in the queue. It just depends on if you will see that opportunity and you will move into a routine of his design, of his creation, that would see a new and different reward that we get. Or are we gonna just be satisfied with somebody yells at us and we yell back? So we looked at ways to take responsibility for our, dis- for our habits, and we're not going to review those, but last week we, we went into the idea of spiritual disciplines. And these are habits. Disciplines are habits. They are processes we use looking for a changing of our habits. So we're using these practices, and what we want to do is redevelop the core of what our instincts do and say. And we looked at just a few of those. Um, We broke those down into two pieces, uh, disciplines of engagement and disciplines of abstinence. And I picked uh, two under each one of those. Uh, Under disciplines of abstinence, we really looked at saying no to yourself, with non-sinful things. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have to say no to yourself on sinful things. I'm just saying that the idea of practicing no, the idea of practicing no for you, the the idea of delaying a reward, the idea of, of, of restraining yourself, practicing that restraint, is the very thing that begins to set you free of the moment. When you have anger set out because of something somebody did, you see, if you restrain in that moment, if you say, no, I am going to use this as an opportunity for a new habit. That's why when somebody, even when they're struggling, they say, You know, somebody really makes them angry. God, I just, you know, you go away somewhere. I just pray you bless them as mean and ugly and hateful as they were. I pray pray that you would encourage them today. I pray that you would uh, be kind to them today. Lord, I, I really can't stand them. You see how that language is going back and forth? But you see, that's the effort right there to make that into an opportunity to choose a different routine. And see, that's abstaining. You see how that is abstaining? But we can abstain from things. We can abstain from thought processes. We can abstain from reactions. We can take that away from us. Why? Because it represents a reward in that moment that we're saying no to. And we're offering it. It becomes a sacrifice to Jesus. Transformation for all of us is about saying no to the old bill, to the old person, and leaving room for the new person that Jesus is nurturing to rise up. And you see, that's what disciplines do. The whole idea of spiritual disciplines is, is, as we'll show in just a few minutes, it really is just opening the landscape for God to work. You realize if I, am, if I stay Lord of all my responses, if I stay Lord of all my actions, if I've already decided all my deeds, if I've decided what's right and wrong, if I take command and control of all those things, you realize I leave Jesus nothing. There's nothing for him to do in me. If I've decided I will do this, I won't do that, I will do this, I won't do that, I leave him nothing to mess with. Jesus what? well, I guess you've got it figured out. I guess this is who you want to be. And then we struggle why we don't see the power of Jesus in our life. It's because we've taken away every decision from him. And we've said, that's my decision. That's my call. I can see right and wrong. This was blatantly a lie to my face. Therefore, I can respond to this as a lie to my face. Maybe Maybe not. The question is, what would Jesus do? What is the Father doing? What is the opportunity? And you see, our spiritual disciplines begin to take away our routines that have us in charge. We begin to open the split, the space within us. For God to have a different answer. Saying no to ourselves. The other one we had under um, uh, disciplines of abstinence is getting alone. A difficult one for many people to be alone. And when I say alone, the TV is off, the cell phone is off, um, you know, other instruments of entertainment and input into you is off. You're away from people and you're stuck alone only with you and God. I know many people, they don't mind being alone with God, but they don't want to be alone with themselves. And for many of us, this might be you. After five minutes of silence, you're ready to, you know, do something drastic. And that begins to show how foreign it is to get to a place where you calm yourself on the inside, where you silence enough of the noise, where Jesus can speak into the place of your soul. You see, spiritual disciplines are an opportunity for our soul to feel, to speak. To hear, to cry, to be angry. Your soul, every event in your life has been imprinted on your soul. It's the place that takes all of that stuff, and yet it rarely has the opportunity to sit with Jesus and reflect and heal. And bleed a little bit. You see, disciplines say this. I will make a place for my soul. I will clear a place for my soul. That's what disciplines do. And it allows God to do amazing things. And then we had two disciplines of engagement. Uh, One is reading the Bible. uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, this is the NIV. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now we often use that talking about other people and that really is a great use of the scripture. But it also is, this is good for me to sit down with the scripture and allow the scripture to teach me, to rebuke me, to correct me, and to train me. It's a wonderful thing to sit down with the scripture and see it correcting you, to see it speaking to you, to see it encouraging you. A scripture can do those things. We have to make a space the scripture to do that. Hebrews 4.12 in the NIV, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Do you really want that? Do you want something to come along and actually can penetrate between the soul and the spirit, can judge the thoughts and the attitudes of your very heart. Most of us, you know, is that optional? Can we take part of that? But it really has the power to speak inside you. If we read it for that. Now, if we just read it to put a line through it, check off your scripture of the day, for God to love the world, he gave his only begotten son. You know, you can do that little rhythm thing. You can shoot through that, and you're on your way out the door. You're pretty uh, safe there. It's probably not going to divide the marrow and the bone. It's not going to do too much of that. But if you read it, and you allow it to engage your soul, It will show you things. Finally, reading the word and then prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. An honest conversation with God. An honest conversation with God. Giving that space where we invite Jesus in. Where we sit with him in the scripture and we allow the scripture to teach us. We allow the scripture to work in us. These are the ways that habits are altered. These are the ways that habits can be challenged. These are the ways that we on the inside can find new values, can find new character, can find new ways of being me. And those things have the potential to really respond in a new way of living, a new way of impulse, a new way of having instinct. Today, we want to conclude these with this understanding. We are a community. We are a community of people and we are a community of habit. And in Jesus, it begins with identity. I want us to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is verse 9 and 10. And I use the New Living Testament on this, the NLT. In fact, I use them for all the scriptures today except for one, I believe. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have God's mercy. It begins with identity. In the scripture here, God is calling us a chosen people. It says you are a chosen people. We are a chosen people. We are a called people. And it says we're a royal priest. We are a people that are ordained by God. We are are called by God to serve the world in the power of God. We are called by God to be in the world as representatives of him. That's why we're called a royal priest or a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. So he's made us a nation. We're a called people. We're a people of purpose. I'm just translating those. We're a called people. We're a people of purpose, God's purpose. And then we are a nation. We are one united as a people. And then God goes further in that and says, You are my possession. Well, he sounds possessive there, doesn't he? See, it's not just like you have a membership card. You paid your $28 and you're good for another year. But he sees you as his own. It goes on and it says, once you did not have an identity, Now this is your identity. So it begins with God showing us that he has made us a community and a particular community. A community that rightly looks like him and acts like him. He's kind of conveying here that the instincts and the impulses and the habits of his priesthood will look like him, reflect him, be like him. But that means that we will have to be different. And scripture says, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You see, new instincts, new impulses. God is rewiring us. You know, I, I can't... I, I shouldn't be, I can't be like the other people who are not of his people, not of his nation. I should look different. Not because they're bad people and I'm a good person, but because God wants them to see him. God is interested in them being awed by him. And the way he does that is our responses in life are different. The old is gone. The new is here. In Galatians 6, verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Translated, it's like this. You know, your religious acts... They don't mean anything. They don't convince anybody of anything. What will convince people is, are you a new creation? Do you rightly demonstrate and live in the impulses and the instincts of your Father? He calls us to instinctively. I mean, we spend much of our life overriding Our flesh, we bite our tongue, we count to a thousand. We don't like somebody, we just stay away from them. But that's not your father. That's not what he's like. Your father in heaven does not get away from people he doesn't like. We are a new creation. And it's different than just religious rules. It's very, very different. See, it, it, it puts so much of the reality of our identity in experiencing transformation, becoming somebody new, somebody different. I don't know that that's all that important for many of us in the church. Am I different? Am I becoming different? Am I still cycling through the same struggles year after year after year after year? Are things becoming new in me? Am I exercising disciplines that allow those core values, those core things to be challenged and changed in me? Or am I just trying to suck it up here and trying to bite my tongue there and and trying to avoid conflict here. I'm using all these tools of the world to try to be a nice guy. But, But Jesus didn't die for me to be a nice guy. He died so that I could be different. Not so that I could act different, but I could be different. Because when you're different and when habits are loving instinctively, when you no longer look at your enemy as an enemy, but you look at it as an opportunity of love and grace and the power of God to do something amazing. You see, now I'm operating at a different level and where... Something is difficult and my brain gets it to a routine and it becomes easy. Now loving my enemy becomes easy because it's my instinct. Caring for the poor becomes instinctive. He cares about your instincts. He cares what you reach for in crisis. He wants you to know there's more for you and I to experience, that we can be changed. And that we, when we settle for acting good, we, we settle for a hard life. You know, dying to self sounds really hard, but living a good life, trying to act like Jesus in your own power, that's hard. And it's, it's, it gets old, it takes forever forever. It's a struggle. It's a burden. And Jesus says, let me in. And let's begin the transformation. What does he say? Take my yoke upon you. It's light. It just doesn't seem right for Jesus to say. He's got the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulder. He says, my burden is light. Take mine on. He wasn't living to standards. He wasn't trying to be a good guy in his own power. We get trapped in that. We're not embracing the fact that we are a new creation In this new creation, we are not alone. The beauty of of our creation and our being called together is just that. We are together. We're together. It means that I am pursuing a Christ-likeness. The same as you are pursuing a Christ-likeness. That's a really important distinction. It's really nice to be on a journey with other people who are on the same journey. It's really nice to connect with people who are beginning to open up space in their soul for Jesus to work and to speak and to challenge. It's really nice to be on that journey with other people who are wanting to embrace this different instinct within them. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. He's saying the body of Christ, that's you and I. We represent his body. We represent him in physical, in the physical. And he's the head, he's in charge of us. And from the whole body, joined together, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds up itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you see how together we are? We're operating as a unit. God has called us to be together in the journey. We support one another, we're connected with one another. We, 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 we build up one another. We're actually become a force within ourselves of truth and the presence of Jesus. We are together. We're not just a collection of people who said yes to Jesus. So this has some implications. We look at Jude chapter one. Take responsibility for one another. A lot of us are not comfortable with this, but if we're serious about changing, verse 20 and 21, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Await for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must know You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sin that contaminates their lives. Take responsibility for one another. So it tells us here, we have to build each other up in the faith. How do you do that? How do you build up others in the faith? How does that work? Are you doing that? Do you want to do that? Do you want others to do that to you? Are others doing that to you? You see, when I care about how you're doing in the faith, I'm going to care about your habits, your instincts, your impulses. I'm going to care about those because that's really how you're doing. If I say, and, and don't, don't get me wrong, if you ask me, hey, how are you doing, and I, I have really overcome sin you know, many times this week, I, I don't wanna take away the victory of saying no to sin. I, I don't wanna take that away. I, I wanna say that there's something more than just getting out of a situation without sinning, that's great. That is the step toward maturity. To build one another up in the faith is to be engaged in how they're actually doing in their soul. It's to ask them, how's your time with Jesus? Do you have anybody praying for you? Is anybody in your life, I mean really in your life, that is praying for you? Is there anybody calling you and checking on how you're doing with your habits? Is anybody meeting with you in some way, even if it's on the phone at midnight every Thursday and you're and you're talking about the things of God's grace and his love. Is there some part of you that's connecting with someone else that is about your faith having victory after victory after victory? Are you in a dry world by yourself? Living out the habits that you've had for years? You see, we have to care about one another's faith. I have to care how you're doing. We show mercy to those who are wavering in their faith. We don't beat them up. We show mercy. We encourage them. We lift them up. We do what we can do. We rescue people. These are, the, these are things we're just doing in the body of Christ. We care about the body of Christ. We care. We are not a group of individuals that come and sit in a room on Sunday. Because when we separate ourselves out like that, we lose the power of being we. And that's the very thing that God did. He made us a we. He made us a we because it's easier and it's better to go together. Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering in the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to act, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, we take responsibility for one another. We also invest in one another. And when I say take responsibility, I'm not saying that I have to take on all of your struggles and you have to take on all my struggles. I'm saying we step into one another's reality. We, we, we take a place of responsibility with other people. We invest in one another. In this passage, what we see here is, is the author is saying, let us think of ways to motivate one another. Wouldn't it be great if somebody was motivating you? If you had other people that were cheering you on, motivating you, encouraging you? And, 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 and we can flip this. I want to open it the other way also. When you need encouragement or motivation, you need to call somebody, text somebody, two somebodies, three somebodies, Until you hit. We need to be motivated. You see how this is just real practical stuff? We need to be built up. We need to be motivated. We need mercy. Sometimes we need somebody to rescue us. Motivate us to do the right things to acts of love, to acts of good works. And it says, let's not neglect getting together. I know everybody is busy. But if that becomes the reason we just don't get together, we will will struggle to go forward as God's people. We will remain somewhat singular with the together status. We will struggle to be transformed. We will struggle to develop in maturity. We will struggle in all those things if we just don't have the time to exercise disciplines that give God room in our soul and gives us time to get together with other people for encouragement and motivation. Now, it does say that just getting together and watching the football game and having community is not it. We can get together and do lots of things. But are we together? And in that moment, is there something spiritually being renewed in me because I'm with you? Are you asking me questions that, that are part of my going forward in my faith, motivating me in different ways? You see, I need that. I, I'm the pastor. I need that. I'm not any different than you. I'm just a regular human being. I'm I'm just happy to be standing here talking to you, but tomorrow could be the other way around. This is what we need from one another we need to be encouraged, we need to be motivated, we need to be challenged, we need to be asked tough questions. You know, I was, um, I was not really a reader, and I did not like reading religious books, for lack of another term. And I started taking on a leadership role uh, at the Houston Vineyard. And there were two things... One is, I got asked constantly, what are you reading? Now, if I say I'm reading Dear Abby, if I'm reading Sports Illustrated, if I got the swimsuit edition right here with me, that's not what they mean. What are you feeding your soul? How are you encouraging your soul? Now, if you're not a reader, and if you're a slow reader, I read a lot today. I'm still a slow reader. I'm, I'm, really, I'm a slow reader. I don't really care about that. I get there. You know, I probably read more books than, I don't know, a lot of people. But, but I'm a slow reader. When Melinda and I are looking at a page together, I always have to get on to her. She's moving on way before I'm there. You know, I'm not there. She says, back up. She's like, well, how long, Bill? Till I finish. Till I finish. A little soul care going on right here. I'm going to finish this paragraph. And she's very gracious about that once we have that little, you know, come to Jesus. <laughs> I got tired of getting that question. So what are you reading? So you know what I started doing? Like before I would go to a conference or something where I'm meeting with pastors, I would find something I'm reading. Why? Because they're going to ask me and I don't want to sound stupid. Yeah, you could say the Bible. And you know, they'll take that, but they're going to say, really, where? So what is God showing you in the scripture? Well, I'm reading two verses a day. And yesterday it was on giving. Oh, really? How are you doing on two verses a day, Bill? I don't know, maybe not as well as you think I should be. <laughs> ah. So I and so you, about a month in advance you get this book, you start reading this book and then you really like it. And when they say, "What are you reading?" "Oh, I'm reading this." "Oh, really?" Now, many times, they would already read it. Oh, isn't that great? If you got to the part where this? So, yeah, I did get to that part. And then you have this conversation. It's like, it just all comes alive for me. And I go, wow, this is great. I like this. And then I got, you know, it kind of, Gets out of hand. Now I'm reading five or six books at a time. So they say, "What are you reading?" Well, I'm reading Celebration of Disciplines, Omission. Of Ascent, Ascent, Ascent. Really, you're reading seven books? Yes, I'm reading seven books. How does that work for you? It works pretty well for me. And you see, they they played a role. These people played a role. They're part of my family, right? They played a role in my transformation. And, and when I read some of these things, here's what I find amazing, is that other people, other believers, God has given them a way to articulate something that amazes me. It gives me this aha moment. I seize on it, I go, that's good right there. I'm gonna write that down, I'm gonna underline that. I, I'm gonna pray on that a little bit. Did I learn something really new? Maybe not. But what they said worked in my soul. Does that make sense? You see, these folks along the way were a part of God changing my habits. Now my habit is I read before I go to bed. I talk about Bluebell ice cream. I rarely eat Bluebell ice cream, but I read every day. And I don't read because I have to. I read because I want to. I read because it's my instinct. Even when I'm really tired, it's four in the morning, I just drove in from wherever, I just need to do a little reading. It's a little something, you know. And then I fall asleep with a book. Then my wife wakes me up and takes the book and Now, but, if you were to ask Melinda today, how many books is she reading? Five, six, seven, eight, who knows? She's reading all these books. She blames me. She blames me. She was normal before she married me, and now... And my thought in my head is, you're welcome. Because if I were to say, how is that working for you? I think she would say, it's working for me. And then we'll get in conversations about something written in the book. And then she steals my books when I get them. I bought a book and she said, oh, I need that. And it's gone. She would read it fast if she wasn't reading seven books. We can't neglect meeting together. You know, we have worked in Mexico for 20 years, probably. And here's what I've learned about working, planting churches, building up people, coaching people, mentoring people, you got to be together. you got to find a way to spend time together. That is a non-negotiable. Normally, it hasn't been that way the last few months just because we spent all the money on something else, but uh, normally we're in Mexico every month. And right now we're meeting with one of our potential pastors every week. They're taking a, a vineyard course with us. That is more important than anything else we could do as we meet with them. Is it worth it to spend money on airline tickets to go to Monterey for four hours on a Saturday and then come back so I can preach on Sunday? It is absolutely worth every penny just to do what we're doing here. We cannot neglect being together. We need one another. And to encourage one another. We have lots of investing to do in one another. So we take some responsibility in one another's lives. We invest in one another. The last one I want to bring up is confession. To know each other. For you to know me, for me to know you. You know, we're going to that place that's real. James 5, verse 16, this is out of the message. Make this your communion practice. Wow, you see that word practice? Make this your, I said communion, I meant common. Make this your common habit. Translate it one more time. Everybody needs to make this your habit. You see that? It's a common habit. Make this your habit, everyone. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. <clears throat> I used to have a friend of mine, because uh, in, a, in a different translation it says, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. That's the King James Version of that last part. His translation of that was, the prayers of an unrighteous man availeth little. What makes a person Righteous. Thank you. It's Jesus. What makes a person righteous is not how well are you doing today on the sin scale. Now that might make you feel unrighteous. It might make you look unrighteous. It might make you a lot of things. But what makes us righteous is Jesus. So we could could translate this a little bit. The prayer of someone in relationship with Jesus is a powerful thing. That's what it says. And so what we can say when we're looking at these verses is make it a common practice that you are telling one another the truth about where you are struggling. Make it a common practice that you have other people in your life that you are sharing the real you with. Why? Because the prayer of somebody in Jesus is a powerful thing to bring to that reality. You see what it's saying here? That's what it's saying for you and I. That doesn't mean that you take your, you know, most grotesque sin and you share it with, you know, everybody on Facebook. It it, it isn't that. It is find places Find people. Make sure that you are not alone in your growth, in your development. Make sure there are other people in the soul place with you. Jesus people. Not just the other person that's in a bigger mess than you are. You know, oh man, I'm really struggling with this. Well, that's nothing. I'm struggling with this. Yeah, well, I struggled with that last week. It's nothing. I'm struggling with this. It's not a contest. What it is, is are there righteous people that I trust into my life, into this place, to bring the power of their relationship with Jesus to bear? Make it a common practice. Make it a habit to have people in your world. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that we can live together whole and healed. Jesus is very serious about your habit life. About the instincts that drive you. The impulses that that rule you. He is eternally grateful when we override our initial instinct towards sin. I believe he's eternally grateful and proud of us when we do that. But what he's saying is there is more. That's not where the story ends. That's the beginning of the story. What he's doing today, he's offering you his yoke. And he says, my way is light and it's easy. If you would stand.